Well, let me make one more announcement, and that's to our Sunday school teachers and also our, our uh, children's workers and everything. We had one meeting last month. I would like to have another meeting uh, this month. I have, I'll, I'll give you a time by next Sunday for this month. And uh, so, and, but please, as you do that, please keep records of who the kids are in your class, their ages and everything else. And so that for, uh, we can look at that. Well, all right. Well, if I can get into this. A dietitian was once addressing a large audience in Chicago. And the she said this, she said, the material we put into our stomachs is enough to have killed most of us sitting here years ago. Red meat is awful, soft drinks erode our stomach lining, Chinese food is loaded with MSG, vegetables can be disastrous, and none of us realize the long-term harm caused by the germs in our drinking water. But there's one thing that's the most dangerous of all, and we all have or will eat, eat it. Can anyone here tell me what food it is that causes the most grief and suffering for years after eating it? A 75-year-old man in the front row stood up and said, wedding cake. <laughs> ah, the ladies love me. Anyway, uh, in fact, guys, I hate to tell you this, and you say, oh, Lee, don't do that. But that's what I'm preaching on today. I'm preaching on marriage and wedding, and we need to do this. And, and this is what the Lord has laid on my heart, and that's what I'm, I'm going to do this morning. So if you would, turn with me over to Genesis 22, 24, and we're just going to read one verse. And listen to what this says. God said this. He said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let me read it again. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let's pray. Well, Father, I, I pray simply that the words of my mouth today and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. You're our strength. You're our redemption. You're everything. And Lord, I need you in this. I need you to make it plain and clear. And Lord, may this be something that enhances all of our marriages. Those that are even, may everyone pay attention. Those that are single, those that are on the verge of getting married, may they understand what I'm trying to say. And so Lord, this is very important, I believe. This is why you've laid it on my heart. And I ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. Well, I believe that successful marriages have three common cords that bind them together. One is commitment, the second is communication, and the third is cooperation. Com commitment, communication, and cooperation. And I want us to look at each one of those individuals for the next three Sundays. And so today I want to just look at commitment. You know, there are, and, and so now immediately some that are single are saying, This doesn't pertain to me. May I say, Yes, it does? So you don't get hooked up with Dudley Dud or Susie Hot Lips or whatever it is that can't cook. <laughs> Older Christians especially, those who have been married for some time need to hear, hear this uh, for, to give advice, uh, advice to those that are younger. Some that are here and, and have gone through a divorce 
need to hear this. Because my purpose is not to bring condemnation to you, but it is simply to say this to you, that my Father in heaven loves you, and if you are remarried, then let's begin right there. And let's make this the best marriage that there possibly can be. That's what I would tell you. But the problem that we're here in this culture is that when we hear such things as gay and lesbian, the LB or LGBTQIA, ABCDE, whatever else is in here, that we look at this and, and the relationships to what extent. And, and, and you know, as a result of that, I think that we, we're living in, a, in, a, in a, such a culture that is so sensitive to all these things that we think, well, okay, this is the reason that we are. Why, why are we living in this age of such a sexual revolution? And we can, lame it on, we can lame it on the gay community. We can say the, the gay community is a reason. But I want to tell you something. I stand against that, and I've, I've made it a, a public uh, stance, and even in our government and everything else, I've done that. So I'm not saying that in any capacity or any way that this is, that this is, uh, uh, this is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm approving of that. I'm not. But here's what I am saying, that we can't blame them. That's what I'm trying to say to you. We can't blame them. You see, if I really want to do this, I've got to go back, and I've got to go back to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. Listen to what it says. It says, if my people, if my people who are, who are called by my name will humble themselves themselves and pray and seek my father uh, my father and hear from heaven then i will forgive their sins and heal their land we're the cause of it we're the cause of it we're the cause from the standpoint of why the, listen the first place that god ever intended for to have a uh, uh, to really get the thing of genesis started was in the home it was not the church the first institution that God built up was the home. And if we live in a country where our homes are falling apart, then what's that going to do to our country? Amen? What's it going to do to us that, we, that we're not ready for things that we're, we're looking at? We're seeing some of the awfulest things ever was. A, a great need of the hour is for the church to stand up like it should. How we need within this culture to end up with this sexual revolution that, we have, that we, we have not had where gender can be changed, where people who believe men can have a, a, men can have a baby, uh, an LGBTQIA agenda. Romans tells us this is how we got here. It tells us in Romans 1, 21 through 23, it says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And I believe with all my heart, this is where we got to. Because we didn't put God in the right place. We didn't honor him like it is. And then we look around and we see all the things happening around us that we just don't understand. We say, how in the world did we get here? It's because we as a church have not stood like we should. We have nobody to blame but ourselves, guys. And so I believe there are four things that happened in this country that, have, have, that had done great damage for God's first institution, which was marriage and the home. 
I'm going to say some things here that will be controversial, and I'm going to say some things that some people won't like, but let me tell you what the first one is, birth control and contraception. Am I saying that there's anything wrong with taking birth control? No, I'm not saying that at all. But here's what happened. Let's be honest. People began to use it to have sex, not to get pregnant or who were not married. The sex was separated from procreation. Here's the second thing. The second thing, divorce at one time was inconceivable for most Christians. And all of a sudden, we had no fault divorce. And all of a person had to show was irreversible brokenness. And that's that divorce rate went, the divorce rate went sky through the roof. As, and the, here's the third thing. Advanced reproductivity technology. What does that mean? This had a great moral consequence. The contraceptives had allowed sex without having babies, and the advanced reproductive technology have allowed persons to have babies without having sex. And when you do these things, is it any wonder that now we abort how many million babies in the world? Now, anybody, have you seen what happened just lately in Washington, D.C., those five babies that were aborted, that were alive? Five babies that they, and they didn't, you know, they're, they're even, which is wrong, but any procedure, abortion, they're supposed to put, uh, inject something into their, uh, their little veins or whatever, and that's supposed to cause them to stop breathing or whatever. They don't do that. And these five, they all clip the back of their neck, these five. So how do we get there? How do we get so, and when you take the most innocent of everything and we, we get to the place that it doesn't matter to us anymore. The fourth thing which, lead, which led to the fourth thing was this, cohabitation. Couples living together and God was pushed totally out of the picture. Thus, before we begin to blame the LGBTQIA group for destroying the home, the church did not stand up to those people who wanted to take God totally out of the picture. So what am I saying? I'm saying this sexual revolution that did not start with the same sex group of the church, but the church let our guard down. We refused to stand up at the precepts and the marriage in the home is what happened. And so as a result of that, the great need of the hour is for the church to help build strong Christian marriages and homes where that the world will look and say, I want what they have. So the first order to have a strong Christian marriage, I believe there must be commitment. Remember your wedding vows? Anybody here want to stand up and repeat them for me? Huh? You remember your wedding vows? Will you have this woman or this man to be your wife or your husband to live together in the holy covenant of marriage? Will you love him or her, comfort him or her, honor him or her in sickness and in health and forsaking all others, be faithful to him or her so long as you both shall live? And then you said this, that you said simply, if you were a groom to be my, uh, I, I, uh, I take you to be my wife or my husband to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we be parted by death. As God is my witness, I give you this promise. And then you exchange rings. I give you this ring as a symbol of my vow. And with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you in here are just dating right now. That doesn't qualify for a marriage. I did not marry you, okay? So don't go. We got married there, so don't say that. But this is, this is a covenant. Let me say it again. This is a covenant 
not a legal agreement. But today we seem to think when two people get married, it's, it's, a, it's, a, legal, it's a legal agreement. So because this is what people believe, it's just a piece of paper. It's just a piece of paper, then let's just live together, which is against God's law. And then if things don't work out, you go your way and you, I'll go mine. Listen, you ought to sit in my office sometime. Some of these people that moved in together and now they want to split up. They have no legal agreement whatsoever to take anything and to hold it together. Or how, how, This is yours, this is mine. No, there's no legality to it. And it's just as bad as a divorce. It, it is just a piece of paper, they say. Yes, but what are, you, uh, what, you, what are you after? Listen, when you get married, it is for God's blessing to be upon your relationship. Did you hear what I said? When you get married, it is God's blessing to be upon it. When you put your hand in, the, when you put your hands together, God puts his hand in there. God's blessing to be, I, I don't need a piece of paper. What I need, I need God Almighty in my relationship. I need God in my life is what I need. I don't just need a piece, a, a, a piece of paper. That I need him. And thus when two people come together in God's presence to be married, it is to be a covenant with God. And the reason two people come together, Genesis 2.24, because the Bible says that they become one. They become one. Whether you like it or not, that's what's happening. Some of you look like one another now after you've been married so long. Some of you interrupt one another's thoughts when you go to say something. Before you can even get a word out, you're already talking about what they're fixing to say. You're saying it over and over again. And so, it, 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 you know, irregardless, you become one. So we need to understand something. We need to understand that simply the co it's a covenant, a legal, it's not a legal agreement or a contract. Now, when we think of a strong Christian marriages... We have to stop asking of marriage what God never designed it to be. Let me say it again. When we start talking about strong Christian marriages, we have to stop talking about what God never intended for marriage to be. And I mean it. What are you talking about, Lee? God never intended, designed it to give a, a, a perfect happiness. A, a, a perfect conflict-free living and adulterous obsession. See, we bought into what the culture has. And what the culture says, what, what we're really after is happiness. And I learned a long time ago in my ministry what happiness was. And happiness is simply this. And here's how people really believe this to be. If your happenings happen to happen the way you happen to want them to happen, then you're happy. But if your happenings happen not to happen the way you happen to want them not to happen, then you're not happy. Amen? You want me to repeat that? In other words, it's external. Everything's external. And, if, and, and outside. And, and so if, if, if things aren't working good, then I'm not happy. You know, Jesus said, I came to give you peace. And, and he said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, I give unto you. What does that mean simply? If, you know, it doesn't mean if I got money in the bank, I'm healthy and all this other kind of stuff that's going on in my life, then I'm happy. No, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a peace that in the middle of your storms, in the middle of disagreements, in the middle of everything going on, you can have that peace of God that passes all understanding. That's what he was trying to say to us. And so God designed marriage to provide something. 
to provide partnership and spiritual intimacy and the ability to pursue God together. Oh, did you hear me? Why, why did God give marriage for? He gave it to you so what? That you as a couple can pursue Him. Pursue Him. The most common misconception is finding your soulmate. That's, I mean, really. You know, if I, I'm, I'm just waiting for my soulmate to come. As Tom Cruise said when he, he teared, cried up, and he said, you complete me. <laughs> you know? You complete me. No, you don't. The problem with looking into another human is to complete us is that spiritually speaking, that's idolatry. Your wife did not marry you so you could be happy. Your husband did not marry you so he could be happy. In other words, your happiness does not depend on your mate. You got to get that out of your head. Now, so here it is. We're to find our fulfillment and purpose in God. If we expect our spouse to be God for us, he or she will fail in every way. There's no person that can live up to such expectations. God created the husband and the wife to steer each other in his direction. His direction, not theirs. When my wife forgives me and accepts me, I learn to receive God's forgiveness and acceptance as well. In that moment, she's modeling God to me, revealing God's mercy to me, and helping me to see with my own eyes the very real spiritual reality. When God designed marriage, He designed an, listen to this, He designed an other centered, other centered union for a me centered world. Oh, did you get that? When God, when God made marriage, He designed an other-centered, uh, he, he, he designed an other-centered way to walk in, in, in a me-centered world. Because that's what it's all about. You know, uh, it's all about me. It's all what I can do. You know, a me-centered world, he designed an other-centered union. When God created marriage as a loyal partnership between one man and one woman, marriage is the firmest foundation for building a family. He designed sexual expression to help married couples build intimacy. And, and so as a result of that, God's purpose in marriage extended far beyond personal happiness. As Christians, we know that applying biblical principles to our marriage will give us a stronger foundation than those of our unbelieving friends and neighbors. Now, you know what? We know this, but are we doing this? So what makes a marriage Christian? What if, what if just what, what if that your marriage, your relationship, isn't as much about you and your spouse? Listen to this. That even though your marriage, your relationship isn't as much about you and your spouse, is is about you and your relationship with God. What if God is doing something in your marriage to help you? What if He's doing that in your? You, you, you say, "Well, we love one another. That's great." Yeah, I've had had couples come and and I do premarital counseling with them and. And I, one of the things we go through, we go through in premarital counseling, I teach them how to argue. And they'll look at one another and they'll say, well, sugar comes. 
Do you really believe, do you understand what he's saying? No, I don't, buttercup. I can't well, give them about six months and they'll be in there and they'll know what it means to argue. Because one of these days, she or he one is going to do something that's just going to blow your mind. And, and so, you know, the real question that couples need to ask is not why we struggle in the first place, but the more important issue is how do we deal with those struggles? Oh, I wish you'd listening to me. Because what's he saying? I'm saying to you, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not, we're not asking how you, you struggle in the first place, but more important issue is how do we deal with those struggles? This is why Jesus wrote in Luke 17, 1, it's impossible, listen to this, it's impossible that offenses not come. They're going to come. And this is where he tells you if somebody comes to you and does something to you, you've got to forgive them seven times, in, seven times in a day. Not a week, not a month, not a year, not a lifetime. You've got to forgive them seven times in a day. And I love the disciples because they ask all the dumb questions that I would ask. And they say to Jesus, well, Lord, if you want us to forgive like that, you've got to increase our faith. And what did Jesus say? He tells, he tells a story about a, a, a man out working in the field busting his can and everything else and he comes in and says does the master of the house does he say boy you've been out there working really hard all day you just sit down here and I'll feed you he said I don't do that he says what what does he tell him to do he tells him to sit down or he, he says I'm going to sit down and you go ahead he still expects him to go ahead and feed him what's it Jesus saying he's saying that forgiveness has nothing whatsoever to do with faith Forgiveness has everything to do with one thing. What? Obedience. What do you mean obedience, Lee? Because Christ has forgiven you. You have no choice but to forgive. You have no choice. I don't care who that person is. You probably got somebody in your mind right now. Listen, you have no choice. You have no choice. So the question again is how do I have a happier relationship, but how can we use the challenges, the joys, the struggles, the celebrations of marriage to draw closer to God? So what if God designed marriage to make us both happy, but also to make us holy? That he gave you a helpmate, he gave you a wife to make you holy. He gave you a husband you know, even though he leaves his underwear and everything around all the time. Uh, but he gave you a husband to make you holy. That you're going to draw close to him. Because you see, when this world's all over with and everything's passed away, there comes a time, what? That we're going to stand in front of Jesus anyway. And what you become now in this life will determine what you're going to be doing in the next life. You know, to pray this prayer... Here's the prayer we need to pray. Lord, how can I love my spouse today like he or she has never been loved before? You know, it, when, you, when you first get, you know, when you first meet and you're infatuated with one another and thank God that goes away because if you didn't, we'd all die, you know. Then you get down to the nitty-gritty of really learning how to love one another. And if you hang in there long enough, there comes a time when you both look over at one another and you realize 
I can't live without that person. Can't live without that person. I don't know. I've thought about even how this. I just want to get to heaven. You know, the Bible says that we're not going to be married in heaven. But I'll tell you this so much. If I see Cricket up there and some other guy trying to put a move on her, I'm going to bust him right in the nose. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. I really believe that we're going to be closer in heaven than we are in this world. I really believe that. You know, you see, before you begin to start thinking, okay, you're going to tell us what I need to do to make my marriage stronger. Now, really, I'm not going to do that. Why not? Because any change that you're going to try to make in your life always means always begins in the heart. It's got to be in the heart. Jesus said in Mark 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there's where your heart will also be. In other words, the Lord knows that the emphasis in your life is always going to be on what things that you value. You see, commitment, if your heart is not in it, when the rough times come and they'll come, you'll wimp out. One of the great books I, I, I've read is by a man by the name of Dr. Robert McQuillan. And it's a great book, and he, 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 was, a, he was the president of a Christian college, seminary, uh, he'd written I don't know how many books. He was traveling all over the world, uh, speaking at different engagements and this kind of thing, until at age 50, his wife came down with Alzheimer's. He talked about the fact that, that said one day, actually his wife, and, and I've seen other people that go through the very same thing, how they want to be close to the one person. And he said that, his wife, where, where his office was, was several blocks away from their house. But she would, she would come out of the front door and said she would walk to his office. And she would just walk to his office and look in the office to see he was there. And then she would turn around and go back home. So she did this over and over again. She did it so much one day that her feet were bleeding. And said so her doctor said, boy, what love that is. And so he actually, he actually, uh, he was speaking in other, all over the world, different places. And he said, but I would go and I would bring people in to take care of her. And said, they would call me once I got there and they would tell me, you got to come back home. We can't, we can't do anything. We can't control. He said, so then I would take her with me. He said, we went to Japan once and we got over in Japan. And when we got over there, I said, I, I lost her. So we like never found her. So I finally found her. He said, finally, I came to the realization that it came to the realization that I, I, could, I had to give up my job. And he did. He gave up his presidency of the college and the seminary and everything else. And, and as a result of that, just to stay home and to take care of his wife, Muriel. And he said, he said, you know, I'd have people write to me and tell me, uh, tell me that says, well, we're, we're really praying for you. We know this is tough and all this kind of stuff. And he said, I would let them know real quick. He said, no, no, that's not true. He said, she took care of me for over 50 years. He says, now I get to take care of her. He said he got a letter one day from a lady, uh, you know, and 
and, and he said, one woman, I, I don't know who wrote me to comfort me from her own experiences of caregiving and reported the same response. I had a response that she, was, that she said surprised her. There's a bonding, she said, with one who's totally dependent on you. It takes love in a different level. The pain is greater, not less. And so it was, as he, he said, once after his wife began to fail, Muriel said, honey, I know we can't be married in heaven, but promise me we'll be best friends in heaven. You see, it's got to be a change of the heart for you to value your loved one, your wife, your husband. You know, may I ask what words you use in your marriage? Are they empowering words to your spouse? Are they undergirding words? Are they words that defile? Jesus said it's not what goes in the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of his mouth. And really, you know, I've seen guys talk about their wife, call her the old lady. Well, let me tell you something. If you want your wife to, if you want your wife to be sexy and to be vibrant and just beautiful in you, and you're calling her old lady, guess who hears that first? You do. I've also, I've also seen guys, you know, I've seen guys go into some place like McDonald's or something, and he goes and sets his big butt down at the table, and she goes over and gets all the food and, and, he, and, and serves him, and he comes back, and he says, he says simply, uh, uh, going through the food, like, did you get my fries? I like to just go over and slap him. You are the leader in your home, men. The spiritual leader. You're the one that, that, to carry the ball. You're the one that, that, you're the shield, the protector. You know, which, which is it for you? Do, do you build up your husband or do you tear him down? When you want him to do something, do you compare him to other husbands? The problem is your relationship with the Lord. It's not with him, it's with your relationship. Because the Lord's standing there watching, listening, he doesn't want you to. It's a heart problem. And growth in marriage is much, much like ripening of fruit. It has to happen on the inside before it will ever be seen on the outside. Qualities like commitment and trust, concern are all intrinsic uh, traits that cannot be imposed on a person or marriage relationship. How, how would or could you force a spouse to be trustworthy or caring this is why it's so important that you and I spend time with the Lord because it's, it's that inner transformation, that starting place for change will always be in your heart, not your spouse. Women naturally often feel, I can, and I, I've had young girls come to me sometimes when, when I get married, and, and I say, well, who are you marrying? Well, I'm marrying someone, you know, Billy Bob, whatever his name is. He, boy, he looks good sitting on that Harley out there with that, uh, them cut holes in his blue jeans and everything. But does he work? No. He, but I'm going to change him. Wrong. You know, and so, so women always, you know, I think I can, I can help him change. Or ha perhaps even make him change. No, you're not. Why not be, this is why Jesus said, don't be unequally yoked together. So let me say first, you're unlikely to succeed. And second, if you do change your husband, it won't be the change you want because now all you got is another you. Here's why, because you actually placed yourself in the leadership role, which is in the role. Now, the Bible says that women are to submit themselves unto their husbands. 
That's what it says. But why? Because the husband is to be the leader in the home. That's why they want to submit. Your wife ought to want to submit because she knows you love her and care for her in that way. So here's why, because you have actually placed yourself in a leadership role, in his role, and you've taken his place. Men, you and I need to realize that most women find their greatest praise and joy and security when the husband leads wisely. But you can't nag them into taking responsibility. You have to pray him into that responsibility. So each one of us husbands and wives have to draw a circle around us and say, Lord, let it start with me inside this circle. When infatuation wears off, and it will, it is then that most marriages you begin to observe your spouse a little imperfections. You start seeing their idiosyncrasies and things. And it seems it's always easier to see the flaws in somebody else. I once heard a couple at church was asked to write down their sins. And the wife said, I couldn't think of one of mine, so I wrote down all of his. <laughs> and why did she do that? Because that's where her focus was. It's only when I focus on the Lord that I see clearly, and when I do stand beside him, I see myself the true way I am. When I stand, see, I can stand by a lot of people, and I can look and I can say, well, you know, I'm better than this person, better than this. That don't matter. When I stand beside Jesus, oh gosh, what a difference. It's only when I focus on the Lord that I see clearly. So let me give you some points of comments and I'm going to hurry here and get out of here. Number one, commitment is the glue of marriage that is unbreakable devotion. Commitment means having our priorities right, yielded, forsaking all others. Commitment creates a boundaries that makes room for relationship. Commitment means leaving others behind. Because they all cleave, the Bible says they cleave to one another. That means leaving mama and daddy behind. I've done some weddings before, and so help me when I ask who gives this. I, I say, do you take this woman to be your uh, lawful lady? And I hear, I hear in the background somebody say, we do. Parents have to let it go. One of the, one of the, you know, one of the great causes of divorce is interfering in-laws. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean severing all relationship. It means parents become aware that they have a new role. One of the top leading causes of divorce is that. But every couple should seek to maintain a good relationship with their parents, and that includes honoring them. Besides, you're going to need some babysitters later on. But it does not mean for a parent to force their will upon their married child. If they ask for, ask for advice, then you can, you know, give it, take it. But don't force your will. And if this becomes a problem, I've always taught for each child, you know, blood is thicker than water. And I've always, I've always taught the, the wife should, if you get in a problem where you feel like in-laws or outlaws or whatever are overseeding into your marriage, then you need to go to them and say, hey, mom, dad, this ain't working out. You know, uh, commitment is like faith but both are only valid as their object if you place your faith in a chair that is a broken leg your faith is only valid as a chair supporting your weight so regardless of your sincerity if the chair collapses what it proves is that your faith was misplaced and unworthy the same is true of commitment 
If you commit yourself to the wrong things, everything in your life will be undermined. And so people that are not committed to Christ, I'm telling you, you're heading down a wrong road. There is a way, the Bible says, that seems right to a man, but the end leads to destruction. Why we need to start out trusting the Lord and not our strength and our own ability to love. I've had couples that are in conflict and I... And, I, and, and this is something, it just blows me away. But I, I, I ask, are you both Christians? Oh, yes, we're Christians. And they're having trouble in their marriage. Then, my, then my, my next question, are you willing to apply biblical principles to your life and marriage? Are you willing to apply biblical, what the Bible says, how you're to treat your spouse, how you're to take care of your, raise your children? Are you willing to apply biblical principles to your marriage? And they'll look at me in the face and they'll say, oh, yes, we are. And then they'll look at me and they'll say this. But I, I love her or I love him, but I'm not in love with him or her. Who they're listening to. They're listening to the devils who they're listening to. Because you just told me that you apply biblical principles to your life. Okay? If you apply biblical principles to your life, then what does Romans 5 5 says? Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God being poured out in the hearts of the Holy Spirit, who's given it to us. God has poured his love out. Why can't you love them? Don't give me that stuff. And I've, I've seen couples that fighting through this and fight. If they're willing to give it to the Lord and fight through it, boy, they, all of a sudden there's a love. I've seen people that have gone through unbelief. I've got a book in my office where he says 80% of couples, and I'm talking about couples that have had affairs, everything else, and it, it brings them back together and they love one another and their marriage is stronger than it ever has been. If they just listen to Jesus. I never will forget one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived was a guy by the name of Smith Wigglesworth who uh, was a Pentecostal preacher. He really got the Pentecostal movement started. And Smith Wigglesworth was really a pretty mean feller before God got a hold of him. And his wife told him one night, uh, she, he didn't go to church, and so she, she told him one night, says, Smith, says, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to church tonight. And he said, no, you're not. You're going to stay right here with me. And she said, oh, yes, I am. He said, no, you're not. You're going to stay right here with me. And he said that she said, well, now, Smith, I'm going to tell you something. I love you. You're my husband. I want to try to be obedient to you. But Jesus is my Lord, and I'm going to church. And so she went. She went. She came back home that night. It was sub-zero weather. He locked her out of the house. And she stayed on the front porch all night long. Finally in the morning, he got up and went to the front door and she opened the door. He opened the door and guess what she said? What do you want for breakfast? She loved that man into the Lord. It wasn't an easy thing to do. I'm not saying that he was right. I'm saying she loved him into the Lord and he became the, see, when I, read, when I read Proverbs chapter 30 about that great woman over there that all the women hate, you know, because she's up before dawn doing all this stuff. Her husband is known in the, her husband is known in the, uh, known in the, in the, uh, in the, at the gates. And, and why is he known in the gates? He's known in the gates. Why? Because of her. 
She built him up. It's because the way she lives, he is the man. Because it says her husband faithfully trusts in her. She builds him up. And so, you know, if we only realize that. Only realize that. Her children rise up and call her blessed. You know. Here's the second. So God's love has been poured out in your heart. So are you telling me that the Lord can't help you love one another again? Here's the second. I'm going to hurry. I know. I'm I'm getting close. Second thing is covenant relationship is not what if. What does that mean? I'm going to love you as long as your hair doesn't fall out and you don't get bald-headed. I'm going to love you as long as you don't put on weight. I'm going to love you if you only keep your job, whatever. I'm going to love you if, 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 if. Or the other one would be, I love you because. I love you because you got that real nice car I like to ride in. I love you because you, got, you, you really got a great job and you're making all kinds of money. I love you. I love you because I know I broke up with you, but after you won the lottery, I love you because I think I'd like to be back with you again. Huh? It's if kind of love, a because kind of love. No, that's not it. That's not it at all. You know, now let me give you a disclaimer here. If you are in a relationship that you're being abused or hit or beaten, then leave. I'm not talking about that. But if you go into a covenant relationship saying, I am in this for the duration, come what may, because the what is if comes who all marriages. And your commitment is certain to be tested. But you have decided in your heart that you're devoted to your marriage and that you're mate for better for worse. Better for worse. Then you will have the necessary foundation to withstand the storms. Because you're really committed to the Lord. I'm going to admit something. The majority of my life, I feel like there was a spirit on me that I didn't, I thought if things didn't go well, that people left. I really did. I thought, and and you know, you, you may say, well, I would never leave, but you know, maybe you've threatened your kids with that. Well, you can just leave. Or, or maybe, maybe uh, we just leave because, and, and, and I, I'll tell you, I, was all, I, I just had the spirit on me that every time things went crazy that I was going to be left. I was going to be told to get out, whatever. I mean, I had it on me. And when Cricket and I got married, she doesn't know I'm going to say this, but when we got married, we had arguments <laughs> yeah, she's laughing about it now. We had arguments. And, and you know, I mean, I was literally sitting there after the argument. I was waiting for the hammer to drop. And I was waiting for her to look me in the face and say, well, I'm out of here. And I finally, I asked her one time. I said, well, I guess, I guess this means you're, gonna, uh, probably, you're probably gonna leave. And she looked at me like I was nuts. And she said to me, why would I do something like that? See, you got to be willing to hang. you got to be willing to hang in there no matter what. And, and, and what I see in a lot of marriages especially, I mean, I've, I, I, I've married couples 
huge weddings. I mean, I've had, I've had them at the, uh, whatever that big hotel is out there on Man of War, uh, whatever it is. Uh, big, I mean, a thousand people there. I've, ma- I've, ma- I've married people in Lexington, uh, and they'd have, uh, they had a, 18 groomsmen and 18 bridesmaids. I'm telling you, uh, it's unbelievable. It's a huge wedding, and I and they went through premarital counseling with me. But when it was over with, uh, I, about a year later, I'd run into their parents and I say, you know, well, how's the kids doing? And they said, oh, they're divorced. I said, divorce? Yeah. They said, uh, yeah, they were in uh, incompatible with one another. Incompatible. Everybody's incompatible with one another. I don't care who you are. You know, that's no excuse. Uh, and, and so, you know, you got to hang. And I, what I see in couples and in marriage, they're not willing to fight for one another. That's, and it's like God wants to get you sometime by your shirt collar and say, now let, well, Lord, I just think I just don't, maybe we ought to get a divorce. And God wants to get you like this and get you, listen, buddy, you're married. You married her. I, I know that there's, there's times that when I get out of the bed and Cricket's laying there looking at me and she'd look at me one and she'd say, oh man, what in the world did I do? <laughs> I know that. But God, you stood in front of God, that's who you got to answer to. You know, here's the third thing. Commitment means forsaking all other. It means exclusivity. Listen, it's impossible for the couple to maintain the dedication of each other if they have other alliances. The traditional marriage vow which says to forsake all others has traditionally meant adultery, but it should be extended to all others, including parents, friends, and relatives. Not suggesting that you should shut off contact with this outside world, but your commitment to the Lord and then to your spouse. Anything else you're scheduled, do you make time for one another? Or do y'all just like two ships passing in there? And you don't even know. There's some guys you ask them, what's, your color, what's, the wife's, what's the color of your wife's eyes? They don't know. And all of a sudden, you, well, I'm going I'm to give everything in. Listen, the kids are wonderful. But your alliance is not to your children. Your alliance is first to your spouse. You got to take care of your kids. But I'm going to tell you something. By the same token, you need, this is why I tell, and one of the most important things I tell couples all the time, you got to get a, go to the funeral home, get you one of them big calendars. Maybe you didn't go to the funeral home, but you go, go somewhere to get you a big calendar. Get one of us our, and hang it on the wall. And then you put in there those times, those dates that you're going to spend time with your spouse. And somebody, some of the guys call you, hey man, we're going out, to, we're going to do this, going to play golf, do I? He said, I can't go. Well, why can't you go? I got to go spend time with my wife. You don't do that. All you got to do is just say this. I have, I, I can't, I already, I'm already committed. And you should be. And then don't, when you do it, don't go to them and you say, well, we'll go have a movie. No, don't do that. You can't talk in a movie. Well, we'll go out and eat. No, don't, I'm not talking about that because then you got your mouth full and you can't say nothing to one another. I'm talking about going somewhere, sitting on a hill, taking a blanket. Don't spend money. Sitting on a blanket and just watch the sunset. I'm, talk, I'm talking about walking, and maybe you want to go to a mall, just walk through, hand, hold hands, and just walk, and just talk. The cricket loves to do, she likes to take me on a walk. But she doesn't say a thing until we get farther away, and then we have to come back, and I can't get away. That's when she wants to talk. 
Do you make time for one another? Sports, golf, fishing. I heard one guy come home, uh, hook up his bass boat and sneak out the back door and he was gone. Eventually he ended up in a divorce. How do I change? Here's how you change. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Listen to what it says. But we all with unveiled face beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as the Spirit of God. What does that mean? It means this. As I look in that mirror, what do I see? Do I see myself with all my problems, all my sins, all my mistakes, everything I've done? Do I see it? Or do I see Jesus looking back at me? And I understand when Jesus looks back at me, I, he sees me what God the Father sees. What's God the Father see? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come new. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's how God sees you. If you're in Jesus, he sees you as being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Here's the fourth thing. Covenant commitment pushes us beyond fear and frustration. Remember you promised to love and to cherish. The truth is this. You cannot have a harmonious God-honoring relationship without making a firm daily decision to honor each other and to stay attuned to each other's thoughts and feelings. You, you'll simply be existing. So what do you do if, you, if you're in a place just existing, what do you do? You, you chuck it. That, that's what the culture says to do. Listen, you're a Christian. Yes? Then you walk by what you see. and you, you, don't, not, you don't walk by what you see and what you feel, but you walk by faith, the Word of God. Then is there anything too hard for the Lord? Then let's get your Heavenly Father involved. So we'll begin to pray, but pray that the Lord will begin with you, but specific as He prays and for your marriage, change your attitude. Listen, I've read these scriptures most of my life. I have come to a place that one thing that God the Father teaches us that he wants us to do in your life, and that is this. He wants to kill you. Do you hear what I said? What does God want to do with you? He's wanting to kill you. What do you mean, Lee? He's wanting to, he, not physically, but he wants to kill that selfish spirit inside you. That, that is in you. He, he wants to kill that lack of servitude in your life. He wants to keep always expecting to get your way and then stopping, stop, stopping around and throwing a conniption fit when you don't get, you get your way and you're 45 years old. So God wants to kill that part of you. One of the greatest tools, now listen to this, He wants to kill you. One of the greatest tools that God uses, you know what it is? Marriage. And I'm telling you, listen, Martin Luther, the great reformer who was beaten in prison, almost tried to, they tried to take him in, in time to a, to a post to burn him at the stake. Martin Luther, the great reformer who was beaten and in prison, was quoted as saying, the greatest test that God had given him was when he got married. So what's the purpose of marriage? To make you happy? Mm -hmm. It's for you to come together to serve God, and you will be happy if you do that. Listen, you may, be, you may be a stranger now at this time in your relationship and you're wondering how you even got into the first place, unable to remember, to recognize the love you had for one another. It could be compared to the distance you may sense between yourself and God when you don't communicate with Him. But realize that God never leaves you or forsakes us and the level of commitment of a husband and wife is what He's trying to get inside you. 
Commitment means you, you, you don't put your spouse in a position where they feel jealous or wonder about trust. Marriage is like a bank account, and you either depositing or withdrawing, and some of us are overdrawn. When Cricket and I got married, both of us had been through unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable stuff. And as we had been through unbelievable stuff, I don't think either one of us trusted anybody. How, how do you get to, how do you put that trust back? Because I'm going to tell you, I've seen couples that really, they, 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 they really, I really believe they love one another and they get a divorce because they don't trust one another. How could you put that trust back in your marriage? Simple. I go somewhere, I tell her exactly where I'm going and I go there. If I'm going to be 15 minutes late, I call her and I say, Honey, I'm going to be 15 minutes late. If she goes somewhere, same thing for her. We communicate back and forth. And guess what? Something in my life that I thought I would never, I, I'm, I'm serious, I thought I would never trust anybody. She put the trust back in me. And I hope I've done the very same thing for her. That she knows what I'm doing. You know, may I say that the very thing that attracted you to your spouse is still there? See, I don't, see, I'm 75. She's 74, fixing to go on 75. I know, I, I know I'm married young. Uh, but see, the one thing she doesn't believe in me is when I look at her, I don't see her being 74. I see that wonderful woman, that beautiful woman that I married years ago. She doesn't believe that. She thinks I'm lying. But that's really the truth. That's how I see her. You know? That's how I see her. The fifth and final thing is covenant commitment means building trust. Relationships are not easy. There are many times when your dedication both to God and your spouse will be challenged. And in those times, you both need to trust one another because, you know, number one, the Lord, uh, you need to uh, you build a foundation of commitment in the Lord and then to each other. Trust is the compass that helps guide us when we're uncertain about any number of activities. What do you mean by that, Lee? I'm simply saying that Ephesians 5.22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Ephesians 5.33, Nevertheless, let each one of you particular so love one another's wife as himself and let the wives see that she respects her husband. 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And here's what I want you to notice in those scriptures, Ephesians 5 through 22 through 33. Paul interjects to the husband and the wives that in order to meet your spouse's needs, the only way it can be done is through Christ. I used to tell couples, you know, that I say, listen, if you don't have Jesus in, in, in your Lord in your life, you're going to have a hard time making it. I don't tell them that anymore. And now I'll tell them if you don't have Jesus, both of you have Jesus in your life, you will not make it. Too many things working against you. Notice the difference is in the needs of the wife and the husband. The wife is to respect her husband, and the husband is to love his wife. Just as Christ loved the church. Does your wife know that you would die for her? And do you build your husband up a respect? 
Here's the third thing. There's no compromise here. Wives are you to respect husbands. You're to love. So the one thing that you need to keep in the forefront, especially when he acts like an idiot, is when you are in, you're in an argument. Remember this. He loves you. And the very thing that you need to remember that she loves you. When she takes her dinner and gives it to the dog or she comes to bed with her hair and barbed wire and mud on her face after you were looking for a romantic evening. Forget that. She respects me, no compromise. If you can always say to yourself, but he loves me and he respects me, you can survive. Where is your commitment to your wife? Where is your commitment to your husband? Sometimes we have to show it. That's what we have to do. We have to show it. I believe that the very things, the things we're talking about, as we look at the second coming of Jesus, as we, we look at uh, what's fixing to happen, as we read the book of Revelation, the one, the very one primary reason that all these things are going to take place, and it's going to be the tribulation, all this, is why? Because the family has fallen apart. And I'm going to tell you something. We have a lot of trouble with, for children but I believe with all my heart, if your children see husbands, if he see you loving your wife the way they should, they won't drag some woman in there sometime. You're saying, Lord, mercy, he's really in love with her. Or they won't, or your daughter, if they see how you treat them, that's the very thing they'll want. Your son won't bring in Susie Hot Lips. We're going to have a verse of invitation now. If you're here, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus.